Good morning. I want to start this morning with a heads up, since I know some of you listen with your children on the way to school. For the next few days, we will be in a passage that deals with a specific type of immorality that was prevalent in the Church of Corinth. I will not be gratuitous in the way I handle it, but Paul doesn't pull any punches in revealing the exact nature of their sin. If you have small children and you're not ready to talk to them about immorality, you may want to pause now and listen sometime later when they're not around. In the passages we will cover over the next few days, the narrative does shift a bit. Up to this point, Paul has principally addressed matters related to the mind. In particular, he rebuked the Corinthians for using the wisdom of the world and not the wisdom of God. But relying on worldly wisdom is not a neutral act. It has consequences that will be borne out in the way a person lives their life. In 1 Corinthians, Paul will address these consequences, in particular the immoral lifestyle of one in Corinth. But more than that, he will rebuke those who were unwilling to call the sinner to account. They were guilty of allowing sin to fester within the body of Christ. This is an important point that I want to emphasize now, knowing that we will return to it later. In this passage, Paul will condemn a particular sin, but he almost does it in passing. The rest of his time will be spent rebuking those in the church who allowed the sin to persist without doing anything about it. Both were guilty of sin and worldly wisdom, not just the one who did this particular act. I want to say that the church should be a place where sinners are comfortable to find grace and mercy and hear the gospel, which helps them to overcome their sin. But it should not be a place where unrepented of persistent sin is tolerated. And it shouldn't be a place where sinners feel comfortable continuing living in their sin. I believe Paul will make this point abundantly clear. Listen now as I read 1 Corinthians 5, verses 1 through 5. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans, for a man has his father's wife. And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though I am absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present, with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Paul opens chapter 5 by identifying one particular sin that was present in the church. Scholars have wrestled with the exact meaning of Paul's words for years, but I think the best way to understand it is to say that there was a man in the church engaged in an inappropriate sexual relationship with his stepmother. This act was forbidden in Leviticus 18, and the practice was so despicable that even the pagans in Corinth wouldn't tolerate it. Corinth was known the world over for its licentiousness, and even they thought this man had crossed the line. I want you to take note of the fact, however, that this is all Paul says about the sin. He doesn't even write directly to the person guilty of this sin. This is because that one man's sin wasn't the real problem Paul needed to correct. It was a symptom of the real problem. 
In the first part of verse 2, Paul will identify the real problem. Actually, there are two connected things that make up the problem in Corinth. First, they were arrogant. They were employing a type of worldly wisdom that was even more worldly than the world's wisdom. Some scholars believe that they were probably twisting the gospel and synchronizing it with the wisdom of the world to justify letting this behavior continue. It would have been a kind of antinomianism, which assumed that since the gospel offered forgiveness and freedom, that one could accept the forgiveness offered by Jesus and then go on doing whatever they wanted without consequence. But the second part of the problem was that they tolerated the sin instead of mourning the sin. Sin is a grievous act. When committed by those who profess Christ, it brings dishonor to God and it destroys community. The presence of sin in the church, especially a sin so persistent and public and well-known that it was reported to Paul, should have brought the church members to their knees, but it didn't. This fact was more troublesome to Paul than the actual sin itself. In Romans 2.23, Paul addresses the impact of people who profess allegiance to God while willfully practicing sin. He says, You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. What Paul says next will probably come as a shock to some in the modern church. Paul may even seem unloving to us. If that is the case, we are the ones who need to change, because the word of God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Paul will prescribe how the church is respond to respond to an unrepentant sinner who is persisting in their sin, even treating their sin as if it weren't sinful. What the church actually did was arrogantly normalize the behavior instead of responding in a way that is consistent with what God's word commands. Here is what Paul says they need to do. He says that this man needed to be removed from them. What exactly this means will be clarified as we move forward. Paul states that he had already pronounced judgment on this person. Paul is not being vindictive. Later, he will explain what he hopes this judgment will produce. Paul, remember, is a father to them, and he has apostolic authority. And he is determined that this is an unrepentant person who still wants to be identified with the church. And as such, Paul pronounces right judgment. Paul commands the church to follow suit and remove this man publicly when they gather together for worship. What Paul commands is hard. That is why he reminds them that he will be with them in spirit and they will have the power of Jesus with them as well. The presence of Jesus in this process is important. And in fact, Jesus makes the same problem promise himself. In Matthew 18, 15 through 20, Jesus reveals how to respond to a brother who sins against you. First, he says you confront them with their sin. If they repent, it goes no further because you've won a brother. If he doesn't repent, you're to take one or two along with you to confront his sin once again. If the person repents, again, you've won a brother and it is not taken any further. If he still doesn't listen, however, it is to be taken to the church. And if he doesn't listen to the church, 
The church is to remove him, just as Paul prescribed in 1 Corinthians. Jesus ends this teaching by saying, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Most Christians use this promise as a kind of generic promise of God's presence. You hear this especially at sparsely attended prayer meetings. But that is not the intention behind the promise. Jesus is saying that when we have to discipline unrepentant sinners, he is with us, and he's with us because it's hard. The reason it is hard can be clearly seen in verse 5. Paul says, Deliver the person to Satan for the destruction of the flesh in the hopes that his spirit will be saved. The unrepentant sinner is to have the protection of the church removed And Paul wants them to feel the full weight of their sin, not so that they are destroyed, but so that they are saved. Paul is talking here about church discipline, and it seems harsh. I think that is partly because most American churches don't practice it, and so most of us are not accustomed to it. But what is actually harsh is to allow an unrepentant sinner who persists in their sin, to think that they are right with God since the church isn't confronting them in their sin. Today, as I close in prayer, I simply want to close asking God to show us grace. As we talk about things like church discipline, it can be hard. And so I think it's a good thing to be reminded that we need to go to Christ We need to cling to him. We need to rest in the forgiveness that he has given us because of what he did for us on the cross. We need to be reminded of that truth again and again and again so that when we sin, we know we have an advocate in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray. Father, this topic is a hard one. It is hard because we want to be kind. We want to be nice and uh, exercising discipline upon a sinner Uh, doesn't always seem nice. While it might seem nice to the world, it is good and it is just because it gives the hope for salvation. Help, uh, Help us to not be haughty and arrogant in our own thinking. Help us to not think too highly of ourselves, but help us to rest in the grace that has been shown to us through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.